Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 162 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all enjoyed the little hiatus we had between Championship Weekend and the Super Bowl, and you guys are ready to gear up, lock in here for the final game of the 22-23 season, the Andy Reid Bowl. We'll dive all into that, but first... We're going to get started with my standout seven. Number one in my standout seven this week. We've got a lot of room for the offseason. We're going to jump into a news headline I saw, I believe it was prior to the Pro Bowl even. The New York Giants and the Seattle Seahawks are both trying to resolve their QB situations this offseason without having to use the franchise tag. Interesting, right? You take a look at the contract that Geno Smith signed last year per Spot Rack, our go-to source here on Nessar Roughness Podcast. For contract details, um, one year, $3.5 million, right? Um, under yearly cash, it's $7 million, but 3.5 average salary, 500000 guaranteed with the signing, yada, yada, yada. The big thing is, coming into his age 33 season, Geno Smith is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Now we take a look at Daniel Jones, who quite notably had a big improvement this season, but also had his fifth-year option declined by the new regime upon coming in, right? Which made sense. It made a lot of sense. You take a look, he would have been yearly cash $22 million, right? The rookie deal, four years, $25 million. Obviously, that was the fifth-year option. That money's gone. He's going to be a free agent this offseason right now. So I can understand why both teams would be interested in trying to shy away from the franchise tag in terms of saving cap space and also just trying to get a longer-term deal, or in the case of Geno Smith, maybe a mid-range deal done rather than going with a one-year. When I say mid-range, I mean Geno's entering age 33, do you want a five-year deal? QBs can play till 40 nowadays, it seems, but considering what we've seen out of Geno Smith in the past, do you really want to take that chance after one good season? Although, obviously, the age discrepancy, you can make the same argument about Daniel Jones. Um, Jones has more mobility than Smith, and you can certainly argue in terms of the receiving core, Smith had more in Seattle, which would therefore make it a more attractive destination for a free agent or a trade target if you're going Aaron Rodgers, if you're talking um, Derek Carr, or if you're going pie in the sky and thinking you could lure Tom Brady out of retirement, though he seems pretty adamant that that's not going to be a possibility again. As odd as it sounds, I'm kind of thinking a short-term deal may benefit these organizations, I mean, they're going to be paying through the nose if they do it, and by do it, I mean go lean towards or be forced into, because they don't want to do it, taking a uh, franchise tag out on their quarterback. The fact of the matter is, there's some volatility there. We don't know if Daniel Jones has crossed that bridge into, I am at least a middle-of-the-pack QB, I am competent enough to lead a team to the postseason, or if this was one good year. Do I think he's taken that leap? Yeah, I kind of do, actually. But we'll see how it plays out, especially considering Mike Kafka, the Giants offensive coordinator, is, I believe, still in the running for a couple positions. So who knows if he'll still be 
there to work with Dable, the reigning now coach of the year, um, and Jones this upcoming season. Not to mention, what are they going to do at wide receiver? What are they going to do at running back? Are they going to be tagging Saquon Barkley? I highly doubt that. Um, there are some things that the Giants front office needs to iron out on top of seeing if they can have a good draft, obviously, and that's the cheapest way to improve your team, right? Drafting well. Uh, on the Seattle side of it, I would kind of argue against it. Look, this may be me being a hater. If you're a big Geno fan, comment section, as usual, social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Let me know if I'm jumping the gun here, but if you plug in somebody like a Derek Carr to the Seattle Seahawks today, are they not a better team? And I recognize I'm suggesting to you going after a quarterback who was leading the league in interceptions at the time of his benching. But Gino in 17 games, right? Had a good year. 69.8% completion percentage, which is pretty darn good. Uh, pass rating, if you're into that, was up over 130 touchdowns to 11 picks, 4,200 yards. Carr, 15 games, 3,500 yards, so it would have been close, but unlikely he catches Geno there. 24 touchdowns, 14 picks on a tremendously underwhelming Raiders team. Not to mention, obviously, Carr also coming into his age 32 season. Right? So he's a year younger, but a year isn't really much, not to mention you're going to have to trade for him or hope that the Raiders just outright release him, and then you can make a move via free agency. I think the most likely thing, obviously, with Gino having one comeback player of the year, and we'll go through all the awards as we hit uh, later in the show, but just throwing that in there, he's an award winner. The fans really seem to like him. The team seem to support him. Pete Carroll, obviously, jumping from Russell Wilson to him, really seemed to like the direction the team was going. If everybody's on board, then make sure it gets done. Is Gino going to wind up with star quarterback money? No. Is he going to wind up with a seven-year deal or something crazy? Probably not. Like I said before, I think the sweet spot would be somewhere in the four-year range, right? The team may want closer to three. He may want closer to five or six. If you could get four years at a reasonable price or five years at a very reasonable price, make the jump. Um, as far as Jones goes, it's a little bit harder because, like I said, considering he's so young, that should bump his value, right? He's coming to his age 26 season. I mean, we're still talking about a guy who was a complimentary quarterback, right? Do you know we just said 30 touchdowns, right? 4,000 yards. Daniel Jones, 3,200 yards, 15 touchdowns through the air, five interceptions. He cut his turnovers tremendously. That seemed to be a focal point, and it worked. They improved his rushing yardage to a career high. Right, He had more rushing yards almost this season than the last two combined. 700 yards on the ground, seven touchdowns. But in a competitive NFC East, is he going to be the guy who can take you to the high points of beating the Jalen Hurts Eagles, who are now a Super Bowl team, beating the Dak Prescott Cowboys, who before they make their first or second round exit in the playoffs are usually a pretty good regular season team. What's the commanders? What are the commanders going to look like excuse me, uh, this upcoming season? I think the best thing for Jones and the Giants would be 
well, I don't know. It's hard to say the best thing for Jones would be a short-term deal, considering if he can get a five-year, you know, super amount of money deal, that's clearly the best for him, right? But for the Giants, I tend to think it might be another one of those. Give me, give him a two-year deal with a higher AAV, and then we'll approach this in a couple of years. Unless if the team and the coaching staff are really sold on him, get the contract done now because the price is going to be higher in a few seasons, right? What do they like to say nowadays? Yesterday's price is not today's price. Well, that will be true with Daniel Jones. I can tell you that certainly. Just found it a little interesting that two teams, Seahawks obviously uh, a postseason team, Giants postseason team as well, though the Seahawks need a little bit of help. Um, teams that did not expect to be in the playoffs, and now they're in a weird spot where they really need to make sure they get the production necessary and lock up the key piece of their offense. The funny thing being, neither one of these quarterbacks is the best player on that offense, but they're the key piece because, come on, need a QB to be a playoff team. And while we're touching on the Washington Commanders, I want to throw this out there. I saw that Ron Rivera, who uh, I talked about a little bit earlier this postseason, that I was a little surprised there wasn't as much heat on his seat. Um, he said that Sam Howell is going to be their QB1 entering the offseason. And... Taking it back to week 17, seeing Sam Howell out there, I mean, he looked pretty good. Week 18, excuse me. I mean, he goes 11 for 19, a buck 69, a touchdown and a pick, and a rushing touchdown as well, five carries for 35. He looked pretty good against the Dallas Cowboys. And realistically, if memory serves, Dallas was technically in the running for the division going into this game, which would have put them potentially in the running for as high as the one seed, right? Pretty good game out of Sam. I remember super early, back in the preseason, there was talks that he would be in the race, but he got hurt very, very early. And uh, that kind of took that out of it, and there was Heineke and Wentz. You wonder, do they bring back Heineke again? Uh, I tend to lean towards yes, unless they're really sold on that one game they got out of Sam Howell, which you could argue would be kind of on brand, but would be a little bizarre of a move for Washington. Speaking of Washington, the rumor floating is that Washington ownership, and by ownership I mean Daniel Snyder, was reportedly seeking in the neighborhood of $7 billion for the Washington Commanders, formerly known as the football team, formerly known as the name Redacted. I would argue that the price would be higher if they hadn't had this whole name change controversy, obviously a rebrand does some stuff to a, a company's brand uh, notoriety, so to speak. And I don't mean that in the negative sense or their brand recognizability, right? Far from a marketer, but you don't tend to see big rebrands like that. And they underwent two in about three years, which is why I thought they would stick with football team. Cause one, it's unique. And two, it kind of in a weird way has that international flair. Right? Like it's uh, FC Barcelona, you know what I mean? It's Barcelona Football Club. Oh, well, this is the Washington football team. It's like, uh, obviously not the same level of success. An interesting concept by whoever came up with that one. But figured I'd throw that in there as we're talking about Washington and QBs and such. Got a little bit of filler in case it wasn't apparent, right? We still got to get a decent, healthy episode out of here. And we can't just talk about every single individual matchup in the Super Bowl, as I'm sure you've gotten some of that content elsewhere. We're going up 
late Friday night into Saturday here. Appreciate you joining us, but let's be honest, if you're a big football fan and you're tuning into this, you've probably gotten some of the other breakdowns elsewhere, so let's mix it up, get some miscellaneous content before we get into the meat of the episode. Number two in the standout seven, this was very weird to me, and I'm going to try and see if I can find the direct quote. Yeah, here you go. Pro Football Talk. This is Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk. This is from two days ago. So, Tom Meyer is the NFL Players Association Medical Director. And he was appearing on a radio show about medical such and such. A, quote, doctor radio show, whatever the hell that means. Um, in response to a caller who asked if DeMar Hamlin will ever play football again, Meyer said this, I don't want to get into HIPAA issues, but I guarantee you DeMar Hamlin will play football again. Florio continued here. It's the first time anyone has suggested that Hamlin's recovery from a January 2nd cardiac arrest would eventually allow him to play football again. There was no equivocation in Meyer's response with the if apparently settled, the real question is the when. Could it be as soon as 2023? The fact that Meyer already knows Hamlin definitely will play again would make that timeline not a major surprise. Here's the reason I'm bringing this up. If I am, and we'll go through every perspective I can think of here, right? Not a genius, but I'll try. The first perspective would be DeMar Hamlin. If I'm DeMar Hamlin, obviously, you made it to the NFL, you dedicated your life to trying to become an NFL athlete, right? To play football professionally, you're on a good team, and things like that. I get it. However, the most important part of your life is staying alive to be with your family. And, you know, if you want to raise a family one day, if you want to just be and support your siblings and cousins and parents and yada, yada, yada. And we see he's done some charitable work. Obviously, we had the big news of the millions of dollars going to his charity while he was recovering in that Cincinnati hospital. It'd be a hard thing to grapple with, knowing that the thing that presumably he loved so much that he dedicated his life to was almost the thing that robbed him of that life, right? And it would be... I imagine quite challenging to to make a decision that either you're going to end your lifelong goal, which you've accomplished. He's an NFL player. You'd end that pursuit of being, whether it be, I want to be a Hall of Famer. I want to be a star player. I want to win a Super Bowl. I want to go to the Pro Bowl. I just want to play a handful of years and support my family. Whatever the motivation is, pure love of the game, whatever it is. Having to make the decision that you no longer want to do that would be clearly life-altering, but and it'd be wrestled with for a long time, I imagine, which is why I find it a little weird that we're getting comments from not the team doctor, not his personal doctor, not one of those doctors that worked in the hospital where he was being treated after the uh, cardiac event, if you will, but the Players Association doctor. Maybe he's got the inside information. Maybe this is not there, but it's very weird. Moreover, let's take another perspective, as I suggested before. Let's say you are the Buffalo Bills. This was the literal worst case scenario 
in terms of when you send as as ownership, general manager, coach, whatever, you send the boys out there to play, right? Wearing the Buffalo blue on the road, big game, and one of them suffers an accident which almost costs them their life. If I was affiliated with the organization, I would try to do everything possible to give DeMar Hamlin a cushy landing spot that did not put him back out on the football field again with shoulder pads on. If that meant something involving a role as a, you know, in in other sports they have these roles like in baseball, special advisor to so-and-so in the front office, right? Or give him a position coach job or something like that. Give him a, a lump sum of money here, the wealthiest DB coach you've ever seen in your life. And let him stay around the team and be a part of the team and the the community and things like that and the the brotherhood, so to speak, of the locker room. But how would you feel comfortable knowing that, obviously it's it's a lightning strike. One in a million, what happened? But if the one in a million happened, is that not going to be in the back of your head the next time you see him go over the middle and crunch a wide receiver and there happens to be some helmet-to-helmet contact? Or he tries to go and make a tackle on a guy like a Mike Kosicki, a bigger player who bowls him over, right? Helmet to the chest again. Not saying T. Higgins was at fault, but you understand what I'm saying. The parallel of the situation you'd encounter in a very normal circumstance in the NFL. It's, it's a little bizarre to me. And I tend to think this is not a final decision. And I tend to think that this doctor kind of spoke out of turn. Now, look, I'm perhaps you could say the same about me. But the fact of the matter is, I haven't heard it out of Hamlin's mouth, and I don't think this guy is anyone to say that Hamlin is has made a decision. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. I don't believe the Bills have said anything similar. I, I don't know. I don't know if this is something that should be done. Now, let me take it a step back further. Let's talk Roger Goodell. Now, this was an event unlike many others in the history of the NFL, right? This, I'll give you one bare similarity I could think of, and it's not close. Isaiah Austin was a player pushing towards the NBA draft, right? I believe he was at Baylor and he was a big man. He had issues with one of his eyes, but he was still playing. He was still okay to play. And then it came out that he had a heart issue. NBA doctors would not clear him to play. Just wouldn't clear him at all. So the NBA tried to make right. They brought him out there on draft night. I believe they gave him some kind of a position, right, affiliated with basketball. I'm not saying they're giving him $10 million a year. But it's something where a guy who dedicated his whole life to the sport can try to realize his dream and goals in a matter that also wouldn't mean risking his life on a game-to-game basis. Now, like I said before, DeMar Hamlin, it was a lightning strike. It was tremendously rare occurrence from what we're being told from medical professionals. I'm not suggesting any of that is inaccurate. Not doubting it. I'm just saying, on a personal level, If you've been struck by lightning once, next time you see storm clouds, you're probably going to get inside. 
And I just think that's that's normal human self-preservation. I think from the team's situation, they shouldn't really want this to happen. I'm not saying to push him away. If he wants to do it, it is his decision. From the league's perspective, however, you do not want a player to go out on the field and pass away due to something that happened in the normal case of playing football. You you thought people were discouraging their kids from playing tackle football because of the whole thing with the concussion movie and Dr. I forget his name. Was it Ben and Omalu or something like that? You know, if something like this were to unfortunately occur, God forbid it did, this would be dramatic in the influence it has. You don't want that to happen. I don't think Goodell wants it to happen. I don't think the league's legal team would want it to happen. I don't think the other 31 owners would want it to happen just because the Bills didn't want to step on DeMar Hamlin's dream of being out there with his team. And that's why I think the best way to handle this would be let's keep you affiliated with the team. Let's keep it, you know, you want to you wanna work out with the team? Sure, you're working out just like anybody else. Just keep an eye on yourself, sure. You want to be affiliated, you want to be in the front office, you want to do some scouting, you want to work with the coaching staff, what do you want to do? Because at the end of the day, the risk would, in my opinion, be too much. And I think it's kind of bizarre that we heard this comment, especially now. Like, it's it's Super Bowl week. What? what? This was February 8th, I remind you again. Um, I'll read you some of the comments, right or wrong, um, just to get you a feel of how the people reacting to this, the most upvoted comment, or one of them here, does DeMar Hamlin know that he will play football again, or is this news to him as he was already planning his post-football career? I have to question this. I have serious doubts he will ever have the physical capability to be a professional athlete again when he is fully recovered. The incident has caused life-altering damage to his body. This seems like unnecessary pressure, another comment, to put on Hamlin. While I hope he does play again, this strikes me as premature and irresponsible. His heart suffered damage playing against me out of the question. Now, at the end of the day, it's up to the teams, the league, and DeMar Hamlin himself if they want to take this chance, so to speak, or allow Hamlin to try and rehabilitate and work his way back. I mean, we saw Ryan Shazier suffer a significant injury out on the field, and I don't ever really recall the conversation shifting to, oh, when's Ryan going to get back out there? No, that that just wasn't a thing that was going to happen, right? The playing career was over, and they had moved into the post-NFL kind of situation. They could still bring him around, Acrisure Stadium, formerly Hinesfield, and have him be around the team, and the fans support him. I thought this was very bizarre. Let me know what you guys think if you'd read this article. If you hadn't, let, let me know what you think now. Look it up. Pro Football Talk, like I said. Uh, comment section, social media, you know the deal. Let me know what you guys think. But, man, this one caught me off guard. So much to the point that I almost wanted to lead with it. But we'll keep it on the field with the opening, and then we'll work our way through it. Number three in the standout seven here. Let's get on a lighter note. Let's go awards and Hall of Fame recap. Our MVP was Patrick Mahomes. I had it going to Jalen Hurts. I think he kind of got robbed 
by way of him missing some games. And I don't necessarily think that's right. You know what I mean? But here we are. It goes to Patrick Mahomes. I had Mahomes second. It's not the end of the world. Offensive player of the year, Justin Jefferson. I think everybody had that one down. Defensive player of the year goes to Nick Bosa. Similar. I think everyone had that one down. Offensive rookie of the year, Garrett Wilson. Ditto. Defensive rookie of the year went to Sauce Gardner. I said that I probably thought it would, but for me, I liked Aiden Hutchinson's year. I thought he didn't get the love. Uh, Comeback player of the year. I had Goff, then Saquon, then Geno question mark. It went to Geno Smith. We discussed before. Coach of the year went to Brian Dable. Um, I thought it would go to Peterson. I really did. I don't know. I, I know the Giants have been bad, but Jacksonville last year was like atrocious. They were getting mocked up, down, left, right, sideways. Um, all the coaches that were nominated were deserving, in my opinion. But here we are. So that is our NFL honors. We also have, before I move on here, actually, Walter Payton Man of the Year Award goes to Dak Prescott. Good for Dak. Uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame Class 2023. Rondé Barber. Congratulations. Darrell Revis, one of the best lockdown corners of this past generation. Joe Thomas, one of the better offensive linemen who was unfortunately stuck on a losing team his whole career. Uh, Zach Thomas, formerly of Miami. Demarcus Ware, one of the better pass rushers of this past 10, 15 years. Right? Don Coriel as a coach and contributor. Chuck Howley, Joe Klecko, and Ken Riley as well. Congratulations to them. There's a couple of other awards mixed in here. The Angry Run of the Year, Assistant Coach of the Year. That went to Tomiko Ryans, who obviously moved on. Um, Angry Run of the Year went to Damian Pierce. We got the Jim Brown Award, Head and Shoulders Award. If you're interested in all of these, hit up NFL.com. They've got a summary of all of them. I'm sure you guys have gotten through some of them, obviously. This was a couple of days ago at this point, but we were right on with some of our picks mid-season, and certainly more of our picks come end of the year, but neither here nor there. Number four in the standout seven, I wanted to talk about Christian McCaffrey a little bit, because Christian McCaffrey had a little bit of sour grapes, maybe, uh, at Media Week, and I don't understand why there are so many interviews for these uh like, I, was this during the Pro Bowl? I don't believe it was. Yeah, this this article's from literally today. Members of the 49ers paraded through Radio Row at the Super Bowl this week. The players' saltiness about the NFC Championship game appears to grow. This is per Chris Bombaca, heck of a name, USA Today. Uh, Christian McCaffrey told Kay Adams, who is notorious for her love of uh, shams from ESPN, NBA reporter, it's really tough. You don't want to make excuses. It just sucks because we wish we had a healthy quarterback for a full game. Fair point. It's a really good team that we played, but it feels like something got stolen from you. Fair. Fair point. Uh, McCaffrey mentioned a rule allowing teams to carry a third quarterback. While all teams can dress only 48 of 53, there is no rule prohibiting them from doing so. Niners did not have another quarterback, though Adams asked whether Jimmy Garoppolo wouldn't have been healthy. Uh... I don't believe that he would have been, obviously. Uh, as the emergency quarterback, McCaffrey said he was ready to assume the position, but ultimately did not have to. I don't 100% know the rule, I'm not going to lie to you. Whether you're not allowed to dress three QBs, I I don't think so. I'm not sure. Because teams don't dress three QBs. It would make sense, I guess, if that was because of a rule, especially if you have a situation like 
the New York Jets where they'd leave Zach Wilson undressed for a game and they'd go Joe Flacco and Mike White. And you're like, well, why not even dress him? Well, he's not going to play, yada, yada, yada. Um, so the main thing here, and I led with it, is it sour grapes? 100%. 110% it's sour grapes. The other question, the more important question would be, is it unjustified? And like I said, I'm not 100% on that rule. Let me get, know if you guys are. Um, if there is a rule about it, it is what it is. And I do think, even if there isn't a rule, it's justified that he feels salty about it because the San Francisco 49ers had a tremendous season. And that's a year that was bolstered by bringing him in mid-year, right? And he recognizes that, that he helped that team excel to where they were. He recognizes that this was his chance to try and win a Super Bowl, right? So the fact that it was taken away because his QB got hit on the arm early on, and then the backup QB hits his head and winds up with a concussion, I get it. I truly do. Is it the time to be salty? Probably not. Probably not. But if you're going to interview the man, you got to know there's a high chance that at least one of the members of the team is going to be pretty frustrated about the way their season ends, and rightfully so. They should be frustrated. Number five in the standout seven. I want to talk a little about Russell Wilson here. It's been a weird few weeks for Russell Wilson. There was a quote out of Sean Payton that there will be no personal coach for Russell Wilson. I don't know what the suggestion was that Russell Wilson needs a personal coach. I guess, I mean, I, all teams have quarterback coaches. Do you need a specific starting quarterback coach? That was a little odd. Um, I tend to think Sean knows what he's doing in terms of working with QBs and the offensive side of the ball. Super Bowl champion. They'd never take that away from him. Then there was the report that there was either an audit or something relating to Russell Wilson's charity um, that said that his charity had only donated... Let me get the number here for you explicitly. The article I'm looking for right now, or looking at, I should say. Tyler Greenawalt published this one. Yeah, so... From... 2020 to 2021, according to tax records obtained by USA Today, the Why Not You Foundation spent 21 cents of every dollar on charitable activities and 27 cents of every dollar on charitable activities in 2021, 20 and then 21. Over the past eight years, only 39.6 cents of every dollar was spent on charities. That's 60% of the money not going to the charity. Um, yeah. Additionally, there was reports that some of the higher paid positions were not being filled by normal, you know, people that had done experience with nonprofits and things like that, but rather people who were affiliated with Wilson and his wife. And, you know, I guess you trust the people you know, but this is kind of a hit on a guy that's had the public persona or public perception, I mean, Walter Payton, Man of the Year nominee, and I believe winner, of being a generally good guy, and I'm not trying to put a hit piece out here on Russell Wilson. I like Russell Wilson. I was rooting for him this year. It just didn't pan out. It's a hard division. Team wasn't that good. But you have something like this flare up, right? Completely off the field. 
Then, at the same time, during the season, you had some shots thrown by Pete Carroll about Russell's unwillingness to do certain things that they wanted to do or he wanted to do, he being the head coach. Uh, Offensively, whether it be wearing a play sheet, little wristband like even Tom Brady wore, kind of weird that we saw that. You also see shots fairly consistently from former Seahawks defensive players who are almost certainly still angry about the way that Super Bowl ended against the Patriots, in which they decided to throw the ball to one yard line. They blame Russell for that, yada, yada, yada. But it it's kind of like a steep decline in the public perception, the way people talk about Russell Wilson. The play fell off in the last year, obviously, but that doesn't necessarily mean you immediately get ripped. I mean, darn, man. Like Then you mix this in, like I said. It, it's been a no-good, very bad year for uh, Russell Wilson, I would say. Had to get that in there. I thought that was intriguing at the least. News and notes, number six. Number seven is going to be Super Bowl 57. Let's go news and notes first. Uh, Kadarius Toney reportedly will be in for the Super Bowl, a man who has battled injuries and then had a weird fallout with the Giants over his injuries and then got traded and now has battled injuries again. Um... Brian Flores, former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, was hired as the D coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. Steve Wilkes, who I believe was the former head coach of the Cardinals, more better known this season as the interim coach of the Carolina Panthers, who almost made a playoff push, he will be replacing D'Amico Ryans in San Francisco. Tom Brady, I believe we touched on it last week, if not, we'll bring it up here, signed a 10-year deal with Fox Sports at some point, I believe it was after the first retirement. He's not going to start this upcoming season. I read that he's going to start next season, uh, being 24-25 season. Ten years, $375 million, and he gets to defer it, too. What a baller negotiation out of Tom Brady and his representation. Um, Some players, including Christian McCaffrey and Geno Smith, really like the Pro Bowl this year. They like the way things were formatted. Okay, it's it's cool for them. Uh, I didn't watch it. I'm not going to pretend that I watched it, so... It is what it is. <laughs> Good for them. I hope the players enjoyed it. And uh, that's pretty much the end of the news and notes. Oh, one more. A.J. Green retired this week. A.J. Green, pretty darn good career. Pretty darn good. Is A.J. Green a Hall of Famer? I don't know if we're going to have that conversation right now. I think we'll give him his flowers a little bit, right? Only 24 catches on the year. Obviously, the team wasn't very good last year. 54 catches, 848. There's been a little bit of a decline as he's moved on uh, from Cincinnati. Obviously, in 19, he missed a whole season with an ankle injury. Here we are. He ends his career, 727 catches, 10,514 yards, 70 touchdowns. So if we take a look at the all-time receiving yards list here, see if I can find A.J. Green real quick. Coming in at number 44. I mean, he will be passed by a handful of these guys next year. I mean, you know, Mike Evans is right behind him. Travis Kelsey's a few behind him. But to end your career top 50 in receiving yards is pretty darn impressive. I mean, you take a look at this list, a lot of guys are already in the Hall of Fame. I mean, in the top 25 here, let's see, Larry wound up at number two. He's going to be in. Steve Smith will be in. That's the top nine right there. Reggie Wayne will eventually get in, I believe. Andre Johnson 
strong argument, was just stuck on a bad team. Then you get guys like Anquan Bolden. Julio Jones is still going. He will be in eventually. Uh, Jason Witten probably will be in eventually, I would argue. I don't know if A.J. Green has a tremendous case for the Hall of Fame, but I tell you this much. He was a consistent receiver. He had great hands, and it wasn't his fault he was a Cincinnati Bengal. That's just the way it is, right? Anyway, that'll bring us to the end of, well, kind of the standout seven. That'll push us to number seven of the standout seven, which is going to be Super Bowl 57. We're going to go through all the angles. Super Bowl 57 coming up this Sunday, 6.30 p.m. on Fox. Kevin Burkhart, Greg Olson on the call. Kansas City Chiefs, 16-3. and Philadelphia Eagles, 16-3. and The Andy Reid Bowl. I think last week I called it 56. When I was setting up this episode, last week's episode, that is, I simply typed in, what Super Bowl number are we on? And it said 56. And then I went back after the episode and I realized that it said February 22. So I'm not going to take 100% of the blame for that one, but I will take at least 95%. That was a botch on my part. But here we are. Got it right. State Farm Stadium, Glendale, Arizona. Chiefs, Eagles. Chiefs listing Casper. Nobody on the injury report. Non-applicable per NFL.com. The Eagles listing just one. Questionable wide receiver Britton Covey with a hamstring injury. So, a lot of people have done this. They love to do this. You know, we'll go through, oh, who's the better quarterback? The better groups here and there. I think the better QB when they're both fully healthy would have to be Patrick Mahomes, right? Patrick Mahomes, reigning MVP as of two days ago, as I look at my fake watch on my hand here. Tremendous player. Jalen Hurts also having a tremendous season, though, but I'll give the edge to the guy who's been doing it a little bit longer, right? Running back is an interesting one. I like Pacheco for the Chiefs. I like a lot of the players the Chiefs have, like Jared McKinnon. It's a matter of how much will they feature in the offense. Miles Sanders, pretty darn good. He's aided by Jalen Hurts' role in the running game. You add in Kenny Gainwell, who can burst one here and there. You add in Boston Scott, who is practically a part owner of the New York Giants at this point. It's an interesting one at running back. I would say it might be a toss-up, but I'll lean Philly. Wide receiver, I'd also have to lean Philly. A.J. Brown is the best receiver in this game. I'm not counting Kelsey as a receiver. We'll go tight ends on their own. A.J. Brown's the best receiver in this game. You can make the argument the second best receiver is Devontae Smith. Granted, he doesn't feature as much as some of these other guys. He won't feature as much as, let's say, maybe a Juju Smith-Schuster, depending on what time of uh, <laughs> what time Andy Reid wakes up in the morning is who they feature on offense. Will it be Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who's been a pretty good deep threat and If he can catch the ball consistently, just like when he was in Green Bay, he's a solid wide receiver. The problem is, will he catch the ball consistently? That's why he's in Kansas City now. Um, I'll give the edge to Philly. Tight end, hard to not give the edge to Kansas City. Travis Kelsey making the case already that he's a top 10 tight end of all time. How high you put him on the list depends on how much you like him. Um, In terms of postseason success, he's pushing top five easily. Right? Offensive line, I'd probably have to go Philly because they just get downhill. Their running game is tremendous, and I watched it every time against the Giants. And honestly, every time they played damn near anybody this season, 
when they get their running game going, there's nothing that can stop them but them or maybe the occasional fumble or something tremendous. And the thing that's going to be an equalizer, you'd think, would be Steve Spagnuolo's tendency to blitz. But will the run blitzes come at the right time? Will they come through the right gap? That is yet to be seen. We'll see how that works out. It's going to be a Herculean task to shut down this Philly offense. Um, not saying that Kansas City offense isn't good too, but this Philly running attack has been tremendous. And that's why I had Hurts as my MVP. I really did. I think it was shenanigans that he kind of, he didn't get robbed. I think people tend to say robbed a little too often nowadays, especially when you're talking about fights and stuff. Things can be close and you not be right, and it's not a robbery, right? That That's life, folks. Nobody's perfect. But uh, no, in all seriousness, O-line, I'm going Philly for their run dominance. Can Kansas City run the ball? I believe they can. Will they run the ball? I don't know. We're talking Andy Reid here. And we're talking Andy Reid against his old team where he was ripped for not necessarily running the ball, right? Or not necessarily running the ball enough. Defensive line. It's hard to not pick Philly considering they led the league in sacks. I mean, they almost set a record for sacks if memory serves. Like, I don't know. Am I going to give any of these groupings to Kansas City on the defensive side of the ball? I like Kansas City, I truly do, but I think at the end of the day, it's the enemy, Reed, and Mahomes piecing together an offense that can find a way to win. If they win this game, that is. They will not win this game 14-10. to 10. That would be highly unlikely. Um, that would be if Mahomes' ankle was to the point where he couldn't play. That's the only way I could see this somehow winding up with a low score winning. I think the winner's going to have at least mid 20s, right? We're talking 24 21 as the low end, or 21 to 24, I should say. In all likelihood, 28 31, maybe even higher. This could be a high score in Super Bowl considering the action packed offense that we've seen out of Kansas City, both in years past and at some points this year, as well as the big play potential of Philly, especially if you're not going to review a Devontae Smith play on fourth down. Uh, sorry, San Francisco fan. Had to throw that one in there. Uh, special teams is an interesting one. I'm not a big Harrison Butker guy. I am a big Jake Elliott guy. So I think if you've broken down what I'm going with here, you can tell which way I'm leaning. And realistically, I think I'm leaning in favor of the Philadelphia Eagles. Though, with all Super Bowls, I tend to do this. Let's talk about the path to victory here, right? And let's start with. The team that I would presume, I haven't checked the odds, but I would presume is the dog here in Kansas City. Now, it's interesting to me that Mahomes is not listed on the injury report. Is that a little bit of a four-dimensional chess? Saying, oh, of course he's fine. Of course he's fine. Just like Jalen Hurts' shoulder was, oh, we got to protect him against the Giants in Week 18. And then, oh, of course he's fine. He's tremendous. He's never been better. Right? Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> they can't both be true, folks. Uh, they really can't. But here we are. Kansas City, I think it's going to be what I talked about before. It's going to be stopping the run with run blitzes. It's going to be big plays out of their linebackers and their safeties coming down to support. And perhaps at least one to two plays where either somebody gets their hands up at the line and they get a tipped, fluky interception, or Miles Sanders running through the hole and he just gets big old Chris Jones to rip the ball out of there, right? 
Jones had 15 sacks this season as well. I believe it was 15 and a half. He's a great player, but he's good against everything. Great D lineman. He's going to have to come up big, and I think the defense is going to be the big X factor, and that's going to fall on Spagnolo, which is unfortunate because if they wind up losing the Super Bowl, I'm a big Steve Spagnolo guy. I wonder if he'll be with the team next year. I'm not saying they're going to lay him off. I'm not saying this should be a cakewalk for him to find a way, but I could see this game devolving into Philly rushing for like a buck 50, buck 75, 200 yards. If they're just putting it on the ground and they have a lead, and it's going to be hard to stop, you know. Maybe an end around here and there for Quest Watkins. A play putting the ball in the hands of Devontae Smith. You know, he's good running with the football. It's it's going to be rough, I think. Rough sledding for Kansas City. So let's say, hypothetically, devil's advocate, they can stop the run. Let's say they hold Philly to what? I don't think it'll be under 100 yards on the ground. Let's say they can, right? Then it would have to be a situation where they're throwing the ball. They can try and get in the passing lanes and make a play offensively, I think Travis Kelsey, obviously, he's that dude. He's going to have to have a big game if they're going to win, or you're going to need to see some stepping up out of a guy like Pacheco that they've talked ad nauseum about how much they like, but in terms of production, have we seen more than some flashes, right? Will it be Jarek McKinnon, who features now and again and then fades away in this offense? Will it be a deep ball to Valdez Scantling that he comes down with? Will it be Juju Smith-Schuster reminding everyone why he got to be the guy who was doing all the viral TikTok dances, right? You don't get to do the TikTok dances if you're a no-name player. He's a pretty darn good wide receiver. I don't know. Um, will we see Mikol Hardman in this one? He's not listed on the injury report. I believe we might. Will Mikol Hardman make a play? Will we see something out of... Um, I'm forgetting his name. Let's see. There's special teamer, Sky Moore. Will we see Sky Moore? Will we see Kadarius Toney break some Giants fans' hearts and go out there and catch a deep bomb or make somebody miss on the biggest stage? Though, granted, Giants fans probably wouldn't mind if the Eagles lost the Super Bowl. They would have some egg on their face if the guy that they traded to Kansas City is the reason it happened. Food for thought. Um, that's the road to victory for Kansas City, in my opinion. It's going to take some impressive strategy. And it's going to take some effort from some guys that probably aren't necessarily considered star players on their team to take it to happen. Could it happen? 100%. 110% it could happen. Steve Spagnolo is that guy. He is a Super Bowl winning D coordinator for a reason, right? It wouldn't be impossible for him to find some ways to cook this up. It wouldn't be impossible also, by the way, for Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and Eric Bieniemy to cook up a way to drop 35 on the Philadelphia Eagles. Would it be hard? Considering their pass rush and considering the limited mobility we're assuming of Patrick Mahomes, it certainly wouldn't be easy, right? It's doable. Nothing is impossible with the two best teams in the NFL. That's what I'll say on that. For Philly's side of it, I think it's a little bit easier. I think it comes down to just keeping it simple and not letting the moment be too big for them. And this is a, you know, this is me being that guy, right? But I need to find a way for Kansas City to make the argument. If for some reason Jalen Hurts has a game similar to when he was put on the bench back at Alabama, where the moment looked a little too big for him, that could be real bad. 
right? And I'm not saying it could be something as simple as making a bad read on a read option and a play that should have been a first down, they wind up punting on that drive. And instead of getting that first down and kicking a field goal and it being 10-3, it winds up being 13-0 at halftime or something of the sort. I don't think they're ever going to bench him. I'm not making that suggestion. I'm just saying that's what it would take, in my opinion, something like that for Kansas City to pull out a win. Philly, just do what you do. Rush the quarterback. He doesn't have that same mobility. Get to him, get to him, get to him, bring him down. We saw the Chiefs already lose a Super Bowl to Tampa Bay with a similar formula of just rushing the quarterback, rushing the quarterback, rushing the quarterback. It was enough in that game to rattle their offense, and honestly, that pretty much won the game. Tampa Bay's defense, in my opinion, was bigger in that game than their offense was. Um, Moreover, I mean... I don't know. I think with the way Philly runs the ball, if they get a lead early in this game, it's really going to benefit them. I know everyone loves the strategy of, oh, just kick and get it at halftime and you can double down. It's the Super Bowl. It, it wouldn't shock me if one of the teams said, no, 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 we want the ball. We we actually want the ball. And uh, we're going to go out there and we're just going to, we're going to score and we're going to force you into having a little bit of pressure on this big stage. And then we'll try to win. Now, do I believe that's going to happen? Probably not. But when I say it wouldn't shock me, I mean, you know, if somebody's betting on first team, what's going to happen first, a punt or a score, yeah, there's your odds. Um, I think Philadelphia is going to win this game. I think it really is going to be the pass rush and then Jalen Hurts running the ball. Against, I believe it was either New York or San Francisco, obviously. Haha, it's one of them. Jalen Hurts wasn't running the ball a lot. Let's take a look here through those box scores real quick as we get towards the end, obviously. Um, Let's see. Championship game. Hertz wound up with 11 carries for 39. Kind of inconsequential, but 11 carries for 39. Against the Giants, he wound up with 9 carries for 34. Nothing crazy. You take a look at the games Jalen Hurts has had on the ground this season, right? I mean, the guy ran for what? He ran for 760 yards in 15 games. I mean, you do the math on that one. He's averaging 50 a game. He was under that average in both of those games, right? You look back, let's see, 150 on the ground against Green Bay. It blew up 80 on the ground in a close one against Indy. 60 on the ground. He really, those games kind of carried the average. So maybe it was closer to the average on the ground. The point I was going to make here, if I didn't torpedo myself on the way, which I still do believe, is Jalen Hurts is very adept at knowing when to hold him and knowing when to fold him. He is tremendous at the ball fake. He's knowing when to throw the RPO, knowing throw on the RPO, I should say, and knowing when to just give it off to the dive inside or give it off to the sweep. He's very good at reading that option. And realistically, who is Kansas City going to point out that's going to be their guy to try and lock down Jalen Hurts in that situation where you're going to be able to either attack the running back and then also explode back out and get Jalen or go on Jalen and also have the pressure on the other side to either get the running back running the outside, running inside either way, or trying to cover long enough where it's not just a quick slant up the middle for eight yards and then they hand it off and it's a first down. Um, I think Philly is in the catbird seat in this game. And I think for me, the Philadelphia Eagles 
are going to be my Super Bowl champion. Now, if you remember, when we picked at the top of the postseason, I had the 49ers playing the Chiefs, and I had the Chiefs losing the Super Bowl then. Well, the Eagles are better than the 49ers, especially considering the 49ers didn't have a quarterback to play. Um, therefore, I got to go with Philly. Now, if we look back, try to remember here, back to the beginning of the season, what was my Super Bowl pick? I think it was atrocious. Let's see if I can pull it back up here at the tail end, just so we can make it kind of spicy, you know. Ah, yeah, here we go. This was completely horrible. So I had the Bills against the Rams. Impressively bad picks out of that. Obviously, Buffalo kind of let me down, but part of me was kind of, you know, building the hype of that week one matchup. And I thought, oh, well, we'll see it here, and then we'll see it at the end. No, we did in, not, in fact. I also had Bills-Bengals in the championship game, Bucks-Rams in the championship game. Not even close on Bucks-Rams, though we did get a Bills-Bengals game. We were just a little early. Mind you, I also had, back in the preseason, I was one of those that bought into, well, without Tyreek Hill, what is Kansas City going to look like? Are we going to see Kansas City out there? You know, at first I had a miss in the postseason, and then I really thought about it, and I was like, there's no way. With, with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, they'd find a way, and here they are. So you know what? Maybe I'm just overlooking them again. Maybe Chiefs fan, you can delete that angry tweet you're sending me. Social media, at Nick Donatic, you know the deal. Uh, you can delete it because maybe I'm just, I've been underselling them all year, and here I am underselling them again. And if Tony Romo's going to compare Patrick Mahomes to Michael Jordan, well, it'd be pretty damn Michael Jordan to find a way to go out there and win another Super Bowl for the second time in the first handful of years of your career. I guess. Let's go with that. Um, either way, that'll bring us to the end of episode number 162, our Super Bowl prediction special. Um, before we go, you know, thoughts on the 37-34 prediction. It's supposedly a leaked script. I don't think it's going to happen. Vegas is supposedly going to take a bath on it if it did happen, which means it's never going to happen. Um, let's see. What else do we have? What else do we have? The color of the Gatorade. Um, I'm going to go with red. I'm going to keep it simple, right? Super Bowl MVP. I think if things go the way that they probably will, I'd have it as Jalen Hurts. Then again, I had Jalen Hurts as my normal MVP. So maybe it'll be spicy and we'll get somebody like Hassan Reddick. Maybe he gets a strip sack in this game. Could be kind of spicy. Um, could be somebody like A.J. Brown, though. If it's A.J. Brown in the running, that means Kansas City probably did their job and they made this a little bit of a shootout. Probably not what Philly fans want to hear. Probably not what they want to see, if we're being completely honest. They want them to run the ball into the ground and win this one 21-10 or something not so spicy, right? Um, yeah, so that'll do it for game picks for the 2022-2023 season. Season 6. Can't believe we've been around this long. I always say this damn near all the time, but it's true. If this was your first episode, what a time to tune in. If it was your 162nd episode, appreciate you. I hope you'll be around next week for our Super Bowl recap, 163. And then once we're done with the Super Bowl recap, we will go into off-season mode. We'll go to a monthly schedule, and we'll discuss that more at the tail end of next week's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. 
It's been a tremendous season. I'm hoping it's not a boring Super Bowl. I hope we get an action-packed game, a close game. Hope we get some fun advertisements, some good performances, uh, some memorable moments, and that you guys will end your season back here next week with us. Anyways, folks, that'll do it for this week's episode 162 of the Necessary Roughness Podcast presented by Last Word on Sports. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.